Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Yeah, there's been some uh, there's been some really really bad primetime games. It's the H Dog Pod with your host Michael Houndog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 94, the NHL 94 edition of the podcast. That's right. In lieu of mentioning my favorite athlete to wear 94, I'm hearkening good word back to the good old days. For a classic video game, some games just withstand the test of time, and NHL 94 certainly fits that mold. The best part was the life hack to score goals easily in that game. If you were against the goalie at the bottom of the screen, all he had to do was go behind the net, then skate one way to the left post, then to the right post, then back toward the left post every single time. The goalie would get caught on the right post, leading to an easy goal. Just two years later, NHL 96 had a similar thing, but at the top of the screen, just skate down the left wing and let go of a wrist shot to the goalie glove side and scored 99% of the time. It's funny how there's certain things like that that are seared into your brain. I couldn't even tell you what I did two days ago, but ask me about a hack to score goals in a hockey game from 30 years ago, or ask me where the secret levels are from Donkey Kong Country for Super Nintendo? No problem! I easily remember that. NHL 96 was also notable because it was the first hockey game. You can make trades. It was easy to swindle the computer by dealing a player who was a 58 overall rating for a 60, then that 60 for a 62, etc., all the way to icing an all-Hall of Fame team. No joke, I took control of the classic Hartford Whalers team and traded for an all-Hall of Fame squad, but decided to simulate all the games for two seasons, not playing one contest at all. What happened? Even though they were all legends like Wayne Gretzky, Ray Bork, Mario Lemieux, etc., the the Whalers still missed the playoffs both times. It was as if the algorithm thought, nope, the Whalers are a brutal team, so no way they'd be allowed to win the Stanley Cup. What an absolute total waste of time. Oh well. My next guest surely has played some beauty old school games, so I'll be sure to bring it up with him right away. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome back on Chris Amberley. He was a guest on episode 65, and he's a co-worker of mine at TSN, and we both write for sportsbettingdime.com. I figured it'd be a great time to get a Green Bay Packers fan perspective on all things Aaron Rodgers, plus preview the upcoming Ryder Cup golf tournament, and discuss any uh, exciting futures bets to make. Welcome back to the H-Dog Pod, Chris. Mikey, uh, glad to be back. Really looking forward to, to diving in here. Uh, Ryder Cup... NFL. I mean, what a time to be alive. Yeah, it's a, well, we're really entering the sports calendar, or the, the part of the sports calendar that's amazing, right? Like, especially going into October with the baseball playoffs, obviously NFL in full swing, uh, NHL starting up, NBA, like, uh, and, and as you mentioned, Ryder Cup here uh, coming up uh, here uh, shortly. And of course, yeah, that's it's a great time to be a sports fan, that's for sure. And, and uh, well, first of all, Chris, uh, in my intro, I discussed Classic hockey games, NHL 94 and NHL 96. Had so much fun playing those. Did you ever play them or any other epic old school games like maybe NBA Jam, TE, or Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball? So definitely was a huge fan of, of NHL 94. Um, yes. Going back even further, back to the original Nintendo days, I mean, what Canadian didn't play Blades of Steel? Blades of Steel, of course, of course. All right, so that was, that was always a favorite of mine. Same with RBI Baseball. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a good NBA, one. Yeah, NBA Jam, and then uh, I guess if we're going a little bit, uh, a little bit more recent, still, you know, we're going a couple decades back. But once PlayStation was was kind of first released, even before the Madden franchise became such a big deal 
Uh, I don't know if you ever got into NFL Game Day. Oh, I don't. I don't think I ever even knew there was a game. But uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever played that one. Oh yeah. So before Madden, this was kind of my jam, um, as well as NFL Blitz. Did you ever? Did you ever peruse NFL Blitz? I definitely played a little bit of that one for sure. I do remember playing um, ESPN NFL 2K5. And uh, what what they had in that game, which I still have been railing on for years for Madden to have, is um, that, that if you made a trade with the computer and they said no to it, they would give you a counteroffer, which I thought was so neat. You know, instead of having to waste so much time trying to, you know, basically essentially screw over the uh, computer with fleecing them on the trade, at least they would get straight to the point, you know, and uh, that game was so good. But Madden still doesn't have that for uh, franchise mode. Which is surprising, right? I mean, AI has advanced so far over the last few years i mean you would think that um you know the computer as it is for those madden franchises could just build whatever kind of super team they'd like and they should be countering you know they should be the ones trying to fleece us as the as the gamers yeah for sure uh, and actually i remember uh, bragg tweeting uh, the creator of madden a couple years ago and he, he responded to me actually and i had with that very question why don't you have this in the game and this he said something like oh we've been thinking about it you know it's a possibility blah 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 and of course obviously it hasn't happened so but uh hopefully at some point they have that that i love madden i love the game every year but basically you're just buying the game for the uh, the roster updates right there's no act nothing actually different about the game i, I don't believe anyway no, it's been a long time since you've seen like a serious upgrade in the actual game experience. Now, I'm sure they keep adding new wrinkles to you know franchise mode and another little um, kind of pass you can take within the game. But yeah, the actual gameplay itself hasn't improved in quite a long time. Yeah, and uh, well, actually, I didn't even realize this uh, because it's available on PS4 and PS5. There was a few changes finally to franchise, uh, namely. Uh, you can trade like a couple years in, in the future for draft picks, and you could also uh, there's six slots to have for your trades. But I didn't realize that was only in the PlayStation Five version of the game, not the PlayStation Four. So I, I'm like, I'm not gonna buy. Well, I didn't even know this first of all, but I wouldn't have done it anyhow. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna buy a PlayStation Five just for the updated Madden version of the game, right? But uh, yeah, of course, conveniently left out. They didn't uh, let consumers know that one. Uh, you know, so I bought the the PlayStation Four version, and obviously it's still good. But yeah. It definitely needs a facelift, uh, that's for sure. Let's get, let, let's get into some NFL talk. Uh, as uh, I teased there, um, at the last episode, uh, I had uh, our mutual friend Eric Rosales on, and we discussed that Aaron Rodgers injury uh, in week one. Devastating. Four plays into his uh, New York Jets career. But I want to delve into it with you, because you're a Packers fan. You saw him for so many years, almost uh, two decades. Uh, what were your thoughts when you first saw that injury? Is it bad to say that I was, I was kind of indifferent? I mean, I don't want to see anyone get hurt. And listen, I I rooted for Aaron Rodgers harder than most for the past couple decades. But when he left and, and seeing him in that Jets uniform, I just I really I didn't feel anything. You know, there was a part of me, I guess, that in the back of my my subconscious that maybe, you know, was was upset that he wouldn't be able to, you know, go on a potential Super Bowl journey with another team, I suppose. But I was pretty numb to the whole thing. Another thing that I haven't heard a lot of people bring up is he looked, I don't know if you watched Hard Knocks or even if you saw him, you know, without his helmet on pregame, he looked frail. You know, he's a 40-year-old man trying to play with a bunch of kids half his age. And I'm not saying that it was bound to happen that he was going to get hurt, but he looked frail. He looked old. Hard time believing he was going to make it through the whole season regardless without getting injured obviously what happened to him is is terrible but i think that i think this was always going to end poorly for him in new york 
And uh, the other thing from a Packers perspective is uh, I believe that uh, the, the draft picks they traded with the Jets, that would have became a first-round pick for Green Bay instead of a second-round selection if he'd played a certain amount of snaps. Uh, I think it was maybe like 80% of the snaps or something along, along those lines. So as a Packers fan, you're getting a worse draft pick as well, which is, obviously plays a part in uh, kind of like, ah, well, that's kind of unfortunate. It's sort of the uh, uh, opposite, really, of uh, when, when Seattle was, uh, was fleecing, or I guess fleeced the Broncos for uh, Russell Wilson. Uh, I've, the whole year, I was like actively trying to make sure that the Broncos, or hoping the Broncos would lose all those games so Seattle would have a top five pick, which they ended up having. Whereas the Jeff, for, the, for a Packers fan, you almost wanted Aaron Rodgers to play a bunch of games so then you can get a higher draft pick. But uh, yeah, that's not going to happen now. No, and actually the number, I believe, was 11 games he had to play, and obviously he's not going to do that this year. But, I mean, Green Bay's drafting first-round players recently hasn't been exceptional, so they've had a lot more success actually drafting in the later rounds. So, hey, maybe maybe the second-round pick becomes more valuable. Yeah, that, that definitely, uh, a lot of times, there's a lot less pressure on uh, you know second-round picks. They can just sort of... You know, obviously, people, uh, the fans want them to, to do well. But yeah, especially like, for example, for the Seahawks, their fifth overall pick, Devin Witherspoon, missed the first game with a hamstring injury. All of a sudden, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm guilty of it too. I'm like, oh boy, he missed, he missed all of training camp. He, did, he missed all the preseason, missed the first game. I'm, you know, it, it, it's so quick in the NFL, uh, a bust label, uh, you know, is applied to a player. And right away, I'm like, oh boy, this could be, this could be brutal, right? So, yeah, it was first, but you know, you don't say that about second through seven round, uh, seventh round picks. So there definitely is a ton of pressure on those uh, on those first rounders to perform right away. Uh, how do you feel about just in general about Aaron Rodgers' tenure in Green Bay? Like, do you think they they certainly should have won plenty more Super Bowls? I'm assuming. Well, they should have at least gotten back to the Super Bowl one or two more times. I mean, they were in quite a few NFC Championship games, and they lost in some of the most gut-wrenching fashion you can ever imagine. I mean, we just have to go back to that <laughs> that title game against the, the Seahawks for, oh. you know, for, for proof of that. I forgot about but that game. Like they, <laughs> <how can laughs> I mean, as a Packers fan, you never forget about that. Um, the defense was never as good as it was when they went to the Super Bowl in 2010. The offense, he consistently put up huge numbers every single year. He, for the most part in these NFC Championship games, he put up more than enough points to win the game. It's just the defense didn't do their part. Uh, and so it's, it's hard to kind of put too much of the blame on him because obviously he doesn't play on that side of the ball. Um, but still, for a guy who won four MVPs to only get to the Super Bowl once and that happening in his third year as a starter and going, you know, what are we on now? Year 13 since then. It's, it was pretty surprising, pretty disappointing. But, I mean, Packer fans can't complain, right? Like, I started watching football in the early 90s since I've started watching football, Jordan Love is the third starting quarterback <laughs> we've had. You know, you've got a handful of franchises that go through three or four starting quarterbacks per season. Yep. Like, how long is the list of QBs that have started for the Browns over the past, you <laughs> know, decade, two decades? In Green Bay, there's been three guys, and each one of these guys, well, ahead of Jordan Love, anyways, both Rodgers and Favre were MVP-type quarterbacks. They're going to be Hall of Famers. I mean, the jury's obviously still out on Jordan Love. It's exceptionally early, but he has shown flashes that, you know, maybe maybe there's some method to sitting a guy for a handful of years behind a Hall of Fame quarterback, letting him absorb all that knowledge. And then once he's matured, once he's 
you know, shown significant progress in practice in the exhibition schedule, then it's time to see what he actually has as opposed to just throwing him into the fire right away. And obviously you've seen, you know, as a Packers fan, you've watched way more Packers uh, games than I have. And yeah, it's only been a handful of starts that he's had now, Jordan Love. And you said that he, you know, looks like he might have the tools. Do you think he actually definitely is uh, the answer in Green Bay? Uh, you know, you've, you've watched him far more than me. Uh, it'd be absolutely amazing, as you said, if it goes far to Rodgers and Jordan Love's a stud as well. Sort of a, a little bit different. But the Steelers only have like, you know, three coaches in the last, what, like 60 years or something crazy like that. It's funny how certain franchise, you know, that's the thing about, you know, some fans. I see a lot on Seahawks Twitter. Oh, let's get rid of anytime Seattle loses. Let's get rid of Pete Carroll. He's a dinosaur. He, you know, he's terrible. It's like, well, well, yeah, you might, you might get a better coach, but you might get like the uh, Matt Nagy's of the yeah. world or whatever, right? So, uh, you know, stability you is key. <laughs> exactly, you might get Nathaniel Hackett. So, stability is key. Do you think Jordan Love has the answer or is the answer for the for the quarterback position for Green Bay? I mean, I'll be the first to admit that through two games, we're recording this prior to Week Three, so. He's got a six to zero touchdown to INT rate. That is obviously not sustainable. You know, he's throwing touchdowns at an incredible rate. That will not continue. But there are a lot of positive signs that, you know, people who really know the quarterback position have pointed out. He's extremely calm in the pocket, especially his feet. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of, you know, quarterback gurus over the last few weeks, few months, and they all seem to agree that he's very calm in the pocket. His feet, his footwork is, is fantastic, and he makes the right read. And, you know, asking a guy to do, to do that is, can be a huge ask if you look at these other young quarterbacks in the league. You look at Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson or even going back to the draft class last year. I mean, these guys aren't progressing through all of their reads. They're, they're usually getting to one, maybe two, and then they're pulling the ball down. Like Jordan is going through all of his reads, and he's making that decision so far. It helps to have a really good offensive line in front of you. Um, but I think there's signs that he could be, you know, uh, a better than average starting quarterback with a potentially even higher ceiling. But again, we're, we're two games into his tenure, so um, we should probably reserve judgment uh, until we see a little bit more on tape. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, obviously, uh, it will be amazing if you do. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Hall of Famer or a stud or whatever, but like a really, really solid quarterback. That's uh, that'd be incredible to to have that for Green Bay, as you said. Like, there's plenty of teams. Uh, you know, the Bears or, or uh, for many years uh, the Dolphins or you know just franchises that perennially can't get a quarterback at all. So. Uh, you know, from what I've seen of him, certainly looks like Jordan Love, uh, you know, could be a, a very solid quarterback. I want to go back actually briefly to what I was saying about earlier about, uh, you know, Green Bay being one and four in the NFC title games. Uh, give us your feelings, uh, your deepest, darkest feelings about Packers legendary coach Mike McCarthy. Oh, gosh, we don't have enough time for me to get into Mike. Um <laughs> he's one of these guys that refused to change, right? He never evolved as the game evolved around him during his time in green Bay. And, you know, you clearly saw the team fall down a cliff towards the end of his, his run, you know, the first two seasons in Dallas, it's been, you know, kind of more of the same expectations are sky high because their defense is out of this world. Um, but they show up in the playoffs and they they let down. They continue to let down. Um, now he's got no more excuses, right? He's he's gotten rid of Kelly Moore. He's calling the plays um, through two weeks. Dallas hasn't really had to put up much offensively because their defense has just destroyed the opposition. But 
I've never been a big, big Mike McCarthy fan. I think he was incredibly overhyped during, you know, Green Bay's um, kind of peak in the Rodgers era. And I think Green Bay's success in that era has much more to do with Aaron Rodgers than it is with Mike McCarthy. Um, and I think that he is an average coach that he probably won't last too long in Dallas. And, you know, he'll, he'll probably show up play somewhere else because the NFL kind of like the NHL has this weird habit of recycling all these retreads at the coaching position, but he's, you know, he, he's an average coach. He's not somebody like Kyle Shanahan or some of these guys from the Eagles tree that look very promising. What were they doing with some pretty lousy teams in front of them in Indianapolis and, and Arizona? He's no McVay. He's, he's an average to below average coach who's been boosted up by the talent around. I often um, sort of defend him a little bit. Mostly it's tongue-in-cheek a little bit on, on that one, I'll, I'll admit. But, uh, you know, the fact that every year it's, you know, 12 wins or 11 wins every single time, you certainly can do a lot worse coaches than him. But, yeah, there's there's no doubt there's uh, some blind spots and some, uh, you know, some things he doesn't do well. But uh, you, as, you, as we've just already said about Nathaniel Hackett, there's definitely far worse you can have out there. But proof's going to be putting with Dallas for sure. If, if they don't uh, make noise in the playoffs this year, I would say probably he might be gone. But then again, Jerry Jones has his habit here the last couple decades of uh, being extremely loyal to his head coaches. Jason Garrett, of course, for what, eight, ten years or something along those lines. So uh, we'll see there with Mike McCarthy. The only other last point I want to say about uh, Green Bay uh, uh, with Aaron Rodgers, with Matt LaFleur as the head coach. That, uh, to me, it must have driven you driven you nuts and Aaron Rodgers. That might have been the uh, the last sort of uh, swan song, even though he played there a couple of years after that. But in that NFC title game against, I believe it was the Niners, where instead of going for it on fourth down, they kicked the field goal instead. That must have been, you know, the, the last uh, straw for Aaron Rodgers. Like, how do you take the ball out of your best player's hands? Yeah, so that was against the Bucks the year that um, they upset the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I think that was ah, the COVID right. year, right? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, I mean, kicking the fire, that's a fireable offense right there, kicking the field goal in that scenario. I think if LaFleur was being honest today, he would have um, made a different decision. Um, again, you know, their, their defense um, was well below where their offense was at that point. And for some reason, he had great confidence that his defense was going to be able to stop Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, um, mm-hmm. with the game on the line, which to me seems ludicrous. But I'm not an NFL head coach, um, but certainly Rogers was livid, you know, in the public and probably even more livid behind closed doors. And sure, he went on to win another MVP with Lafleur, but I mean, I think that relationship was kind of tarnished from that point forward. Absolutely, without question. Well, we were texting before uh, before doing this episode about uh, you know Aaron Rodgers and different things we can discuss. And uh, you had a, a great uh, theory. Now that Rodgers is unfortunately out for the season with the Jets. The uh, a quarterback that they should explore uh, trading for. Uh, give, uh, tell, tell us about that. So, if you're in New York, um, you, you know the Jets. You you've got this long suffering franchise. You haven't won a playoff game in decades. You all of a sudden have stumbled into this immense amount of talent on both sides of the ball. You've got great skill position players. You've got arguably the best defensive line and secondary in football, at least right up there on par with Dallas. The only piece you're missing is a quarterback now that Rodgers is gone. We've all seen the Zach Wilson experience. It is not Yikes. going to end well. Your window with this team is is so small. And 
I would hate to think that they're just banking on Rodgers at 40 years old, overcoming a serious Achilles injury to come back next year and run it back. I think their window is this year, especially with how weak the AFC has looked to start. You know, with Kansas City underwhelming, the Bengals could be 0-3 after this week. The Bills seem like that team that beats up on terrible teams but can't beat, you know, a good game, a good team when when the when the, the stakes are their highest. I think if you're the New York Jets, you have to go out and you have to get somebody a proven start of the league. And who better than Kirk Cousins, right? This guy, you know, he has a lot of haters in the world, but this guy is he's a proven quarterback. He puts up gaudy stocks. Um, and right now he's about to play for a team that could be 0-3. If the Vikings start 0-3 this week, they're not making the playoffs. They have already pretty much declared that they're not bringing Cousins back. If I'm the Jets, I'm making an aggressive push for this guy, and I'm bringing him in, and I'm seeing if we can take this team to the next level. Hmm. That's uh, that's definitely, uh, when you mentioned that, I was like, that's that's definitely, obviously, they'd be contingent on the Vikings, you know, not playing well. Uh, as you said, they've lost the first two games. Yeah, if they certain, you know, start 0-4 or something along those lines, that's definitely something to explore. Uh, definitely, you know, that'd be very, very fascinating. I'll throw an- another name at you. Uh, certainly not to the, you know, doesn't have the same cach- cachet as, uh, as uh, Kirk Cousins. But mainly it's also because he's just such a fun quarterback. I, I want him to be a starter again. He's been a backup for the last couple of years, it would, especially in the New York market. I think it'd be so fun. The ups and downs, that uh, the, the lunacy that would uh, ensue Jameis Winston in New York, uh, that'd be so much fun. I mean, I think from an entertainment perspective, it would be hilarious. We would all get a kick out of it. The reason why I think Cousins would be a better fit is he can be a game manager, right? He completes passes at an extraordinary rate. He can protect the football and he can get the football to his guys, his playmakers, you know, especially in the kind of the short to medium windows. Um, of course, Jameis has a much bigger arm, but Jameis has just a ridiculous track record of making one poor decision after another. <laughs> and I mean, they've already got a guy at the quarterback position in Wilson that makes horrendous decisions. Bringing in Jameis to replace that, I'm not sure... While it would be entertaining, I don't think that's going to push them to, you know, contender status. I just want Jameis Winston starting again. You know, I, I agree with all your points, but it would just be so much fun. The NFL is not as good without uh, Jameis Winston. Uh, remember years ago, we did the, the weird thing with his hands where, like, he was, like, saying, like, W's or whatever, and it was just super, super cringeworthy and awkward. Is it, the, oh. the league is more fun when he's uh, when he's starting. 100%. And there are teams that he would be a great fit for. Teams that aren't really playing for uh, for anything this season. I look at a team like Arizona, right? They they went out and traded for Josh Dobbs. And Josh Dobbs is a perfectly serviceable backup. You know, he's not a starting quarterback. And, you know, I know Kyler Murray is, is potentially going to return later in this season. But if you're Arizona and you want to make your team a little bit more competitive, I think Jameis Winston could do that. I never seen them in the offseason that could have made a, some sort of push for him. I mean, perhaps the Buccaneers uh, could have went in his direction instead of Baker. Who else? I mean, Atlanta. I mean, the Desmond Ritter thing, I'm, I'm certainly not sold on, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he looks like a guy that is not long for the league, right? He, he's, he's got an underwhelming arm. He seems to kind of panic in the pocket. Sure, he's got a great run game behind him, but he's not taking Atlanta to, to, to the next level. What about the Bears? I mean, Jameis in the Chicago market? Yeah, that'd be so funny. Justin Fields, I think we're about to close the the book on the Justin Fields, Chicago Bears 
tenure. So a handful of teams, Jameis, you're right. He is very exciting, but I don't think he's going to take a team to, uh, you know, contender status. Yeah, you're you're definitely right about that. Uh, but it's funny you brought up Justin Fields because I was just about to talk about him. Uh, you know, clearly, uh, or at least the last couple or last year, he was a at least a very good running quarterback, not necessarily a great throwing quarterback. But he, now he's not even running as much this season. And after the second uh, week loss, he uh, it's so funny. He essentially, uh, I think he was asked like, you know, what's wrong or what's happened. He said he basically said, oh, coaching. And then and then I think it was the next day. He's like, oh, that was taken out of context. What? What context? You're the one who said it. You're the one who said coaching, you know, uh, was basically to blame. So I love when athletes uh, say things are out of context when they clearly were, were in the correct context. So, uh, yeah, do you think, as you said, you don't think there's any way back for, like, maybe on another team, perhaps, with uh, Justin Fields? I mean, I just think the relationship with him in Chicago needs to uh, disband here, right? Like, the coaching staff there seems to not know what they're doing. They, I mean, they surrounded him with a bunch of nobodies up until this year when they finally traded for DJ Moore. So they're they're not really you're not really helping him out. Their offensive line is a mess. But what is it with these Ohio State quarterbacks? They mm-hmm. they come out, they get drafted in the first round, and they just they can't excel at the next level. I mean, obviously we'll have to wait and see on CJ Stroud, but the list of guys who played at Ohio State in that Ryan Day system, they just haven't been able to translate their success at the next level um whether fields can do it for another team remains to be seen but if you take away his legs if you make him try to make him a pocket first passer that's not what he is that's not how he's gonna move the chains he's got to be in an organization that wants to commit to running the ball first both with him and with you know the guys behind him um look what they did in in philadelphia with uh with jalen hurts and what's um, Shane Steichen appears to be doing with Anthony Richardson. They're taking advantage of this of these guys' biggest skill set, and in Chicago, they're they're just not. I mean that that Bears franchise, what a waste. Yeah, so a lot. I, I always hate when coaches are, they try to square pegs into round holes type thing. It's like take the players that you have and and accentuate their talents and make the you know the rest of the team better as opposed to this is the way I'm doing it, and now you have to fit my system. No, 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 no. You're just the coach. Put the players in in uh, places to to you know uh, to succeed by accentuating their talents, not uh, denigrating their talents, sort of so to speak. So uh, yeah, as you said, Chicago is <laughs> most definitely an absolute mess. Uh, before we move off NFL, is there any other uh, hot topics? Uh, anything that uh, grinds your gears right now with the NFL, or should we move on to the Ryder Cup? Just one, and it's it's fitting because of the Thursday night football matchup between the Giants and the the 49ers. These these primetime games have just been <sighs> they've been borderline unwatchable. And what I'm wondering is so this past Monday night we had our first Monday night football doubleheader. And when there's two games going on simultaneously, especially if you have multiple screens, or even throughout the broadcast, they would they would cut the screen in half and give us a split screen view of, of both games at, at certain times. Is that the NFL's way of trying to trick us that if there's more games on at once that the product isn't actually as bad as it is? I mean, I I don't know about you, but I spend my Sunday primarily watching Red Zone with mm-hmm. my team on a separate screen and my kids' team uh, on a separate screen. But my primary focus is on Red Zone. And I mean, what a great product that is. But if you actually sit down and, and watch one of these island games, I mean, when was the last time we had a... Um, you know, like a Rams Chiefs barn burner from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Just the quality of the product, especially on Thursday nights when teams Oof. are coming off a short week, it's borderline unwatchable. And I, honestly, 
take away gambling and is anyone going to watch these games yeah buzz your girlfriend woof yeah there's been some uh there's been some really really bad uh primetime games i almost feel like the first two weeks of the nfl season is basically the, the preseason even though the preseason is three games it really does seem that a ton of teams especially uh, at the quarterback position like you know, you're just like what like this team is really bad right now it really does feel especially the first two weeks that the nfl uh you know the, the the games aren't that great, but you know when you see it just a uh, you know a primetime game, just a standalone game, game, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's some really really st- big stinkers. Hopefully the Giants actually uh, change that um, in this week three game and they surprise everybody by beating the 49ers. But I won't hold my breath on on that one, unfortunately. No, but I mean, can't, can't the league? And I know that they're trying to do a better job, especially on, on Monday night. That whole ESPN deal is seems to be incentivizing them to schedule better matchups. But I mean, just for this week. We've got Giants, 49ers, Steelers, Raiders, Bengals, Rams, and Bucks, Eagles as our four island games. I mean, that's a tough scene. Ooh, yeah, I guess maybe they're thinking for some of these uh, bad games, get them out of the way early in the season when the those teams might actually matter. But uh, yeah, not I so good. Those in the one o'clock window. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that the, the, I think it's this year was the first year they're able to. Yeah, it is uh, flex some Thursday night games, but I believe that's like in the, into like week twelve or somewhere around there. So that might improve the product a little bit there. But uh, yeah, some of these games have not been pretty. That's for sure. Well, let's switch uh, up to the Ryder Cup. It's uh, being played here, uh, you know, in a week's time. First of all, I guess the the question I want to ask, were you on board with, there's a ton of controversy, which I thought was funny. Were you on board with the U.S. Uh, team uh, selecting Justin Thomas as a captain's pick? I guess from a kind of team chemistry, morale standpoint, I get it, right? This guy's been there a handful of times already. He's got a really impressive Ryder Cup track record. Um, him and Jordan Spieth are best friends. It makes sense to have them paired up in, uh, in some of these matches. But if you're, I mean, if you're looking at, you know, the full picture of, of his play over this past year, I mean, this guy couldn't make cuts at what were almost amounted to alternate field events, right? He was missing cuts at, you know, the rocket mortgage. He hadn't, you know, he didn't perform well in the majors. And you've got some of these other guys that were really peaking down the stretch, guys that won big tournaments. Um, I mean, Lucas Glover and and Keegan Bradley are probably the two that, that come to mind the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole, I'm just, I'm thoroughly unimpressed with this whole kind of U.S. roster. I mean, sure, they might have more depth than the Europeans, but I mean, I I would take the, I would take, I would definitely take Europe's top four over any four on uh, on the U.S. side. And I might even take Europe's top six um, over any of the six on, on the U.S. side. And we're going to see those top six guys from, from Europe in every session, mm-hmm. right? Whereas the, the U.S. is going to have a tougher time kind of mixing and matching who they're going to send out there. So, um, I mean, as far as JT goes, maybe maybe he, they, they hide him and maybe they just try and, 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 and see what they got with some of these other guys. But I think the person who should be the most upset is Keegan Bradley. He won, I think he's won three times in the last calendar year. He won a FedEx, or not a FedEx Cup, but he won a um, elevated event this past year. And the big thing with Keegan is, has always been his putter that's held him back, right? He's this extraordinary ball striker, but he'd get to the green and things would fall apart. Well, he's completely flipped that around. And he was a top 25 putter in the world this year. And he sets up perfectly for the type of course that they're going to be played at or that the Ryder Cup's going to be played at this year. You know, it's going to be a, a narrow track, you know, a short course that really demands accuracy. 
And those type of courses, the U.S. hasn't succeeded on. I mean, there's a reason why the states haven't won on European soil in, in three decades. It's because they just take, you know, they take their guys no matter where they go. They don't plan strategically for the type of venue like the Europeans do. And a course like this, I think it really favors a certain type of player like Keegan, who's, you know, he's extremely accurate, got an exceptional short game. Uh, and I think they've kind of missed the boat on this one, taking uh, a Justin ahead of him. But, I mean, who knows? Like I said, maybe they'll hide Justin and he won't get to play as much. It's sort of a tough one. I I, I, I sort of believe the whole way they were going to take Justin Thomas pretty much no matter what. Uh, it's t- tough because if they if they don't take Justin and they lose, then, of course, they're ripped. But if they do take Justin and they, and they lose, of course, they might be ripped as well. So it's kind of one of the a tougher ones considering, you know, his track record uh, of, you know, obviously being a very, very good, very good player for a long time, except for, the, as you said, this year, not so good, obviously. Uh, and yeah, like Brian Harmon and Wyndham Clark, no one anticipated those guys winning major championships this year. And so they crashed the party for the Ryder Cup. And yeah, if they're if those two don't win those majors, then yeah, probably you do then see Keegan Bradley and Lucas Glover, who was on fire down the stretch, make the team. But we shall see. It is funny, though, also uh, for a snub for the European side, not as much talked about because, you know, people don't know him as well. But Adrian Moronk, I think a, a three calendar w- uh, wins this calendar year. Uh, last year or so, and he'd also won on the actual course they're playing at for the Ryder Cup, and he was passed over. To me, that's a massive uh, snub, uh, especially because he won at that course. Yeah, no, 100%, and I guess the guy that replaced him is the young Swede, Ludwig Aberg, but, I mean, this this Aberg kid, I, I don't think anyone who's, you know, got a European ticket in their pocket or that is just rooting Europe on should be upset that this, this young phenom Aberg is on the team. I, Definitely. I, I know a lot of people probably I know a lot of people aren't super familiar with him, but watch this guy hit a golf ball. It is dead straight and it goes an absolute mile. And you know, the uh the top names on the European side were kind of championing his cause and it's you know, the uh the guy selecting the team listened to him and I, I'm really excited to watch him play. And I think you're gonna see him in at least one of the sessions go out with one of the big boys, whether it's Rory or Rom or Victor. And uh, I can't wait to, to watch those those guys put on a show. Yeah, well, that, uh, to me, I think it would have been uh, good to have Moronk on the team and maybe not Hoygaard, just because, yeah, at, uh, it's sort of a, a – Aberg certainly probably will be a thing where uh, a couple years ago it was like, uh, should Scotty Scheffler be a, uh, a captain's pick? And, of course, now you look back at that. Of, of course he should have been a captain's pick. But at the time that was definitely debated. Yeah, Aberg, without question, should have been on. But, yeah, maybe Hoygaard you take off the team. I'm not sure. But it's very yeah, fascinating how to, uh, how to all shake out. Yeah, Maroc's play did kind of deteriorate um, as the season went on. I know he won uh, three times earlier in the season, including that course they're playing. Uh, so, yeah, there's definitely an argument to be made to bring him on the team. Where I think Hoygaard, correct me if I'm wrong, he was starting to peak as the season ended, and that's how he kind of stole the position. Yeah, I think that, that's pretty much what it was. Yeah, I, I was mixed, Of course, they're twins, so I think he won, or maybe it was his brother who won recently. I, I always, uh, of course, mix the two of them up. But, uh, yeah, he definitely was playing... Uh, very, you know, quite well uh, down the stretch for sure. Do you have a position on this Ryder Cup, or do you have any bets that you've already made or are thinking about making? Uh, I haven't uh, bet on it yet, but I mean, I have to say, uh, you know, you're, Europe haven't lost on uh, on home soil in, in as, you, as you already mentioned, thirty years, three decades. That's crazy, and they're the underdog. It does feel like 
it should pretty much, if you are going to bet one of the two, it does feel like a, an auto bet, but I might want to maybe perhaps like wait to see, hopefully maybe they go down like 3-1 in the first session, and then I could jump on a live line on Europe just to make it a little bit better, perhaps? Yeah, so they're, right now, uh, it looks like the U.S. is a minus-120 favorite. You can get Europe as a plus-125 dog. I actually bet Europe uh, shortly after the Open Championship at plus-165, so I'm feeling pretty good about that value. I just think this line should be closer to a pick So, you know, getting plus 125 or, or 165 like I have banked, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, no, that's definitely, as we mentioned, they're, they're very, very top-heavy Europe. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, but Brian Harmon's and the Wyndham Clarks, they haven't really played these Ryder Cups. So you, you, everyone's uh, sort of banking on USA finally winning because they crushed uh, the last Ryder Cup in, in the States. But, yeah, as an underdog, it's kind of hard to go wrong with them. Uh, I'm also excited, by the way, uh, for the uh, Solheim Cup coming up uh, this weekend, Ma- namely because it's it's on a course I played, Bragg, a couple years ago in Spain, Finca Cordeson. There's some really, really bizarre kind of qu- quirky holes that I think will be perfect for a Solheim Cup. So I'm excited to sort of see that. And uh, just, to, just to be like, I've actually played on a Solheim Cup course before. It's going to be kind of neat. It's, uh, I'm excited yeah. for it. Awesome. Yeah, just going back to something you just said about how U.S. crushed uh, at the previous Ryder Cup. Now, the course that they played at for that event was basically tailor-made for the guys on their team, right? Um, it was a long U.S. Open-style course. The guys that who ended up making the team, who were all at the peak uh, at their time, guys like DJ, a lot of guys that are now on live, right? That course was made for their skill set, right? Like That's the thing about this this year is the, the script has kind of been flipped. The course that they're going to is more suited for the Europeans. And I don't, I don't know if that's being baked in properly to the line. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's uh Europe as an underdog is a pretty much, I mean, it's a good bet to make pretty much every time because as we've said, they always win, uh, win there for sure. And uh, you said you already have, of course, had a futures bet on Europe uh, after the open championship there. Uh, I'll get you out of here talking about a little, a couple futures bets, uh, uh, I wanted to talk, uh, discuss with you now, especially seeing as I, we both uh, write for sportsbettingdime.com where we give betting advice to the readers on sporting events. Uh, tell us about how you were too good at betting that you've been cut off because uh, spoiler alert, this is a world with which I am not familiar. Uh, well, I think anyone with an advanced set of projections these days and someone who follows these projections specifically in some of the smaller markets, like, no one's getting limited betting NFL sides because the market is way, way too efficient, right? Now, if you're betting player props, you know, let's say DraftKings, for example, they're putting out every week for NFL, um, they're putting out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of player props, right? There's no way all of those lines can be as efficient as the spread or total from 16 NFL games, it's just impossible, right? Mm-hmm. And as a result, the the limits are going to be smaller on markets like props than they are on sides and totals. But if you start to show a pulse betting props, and especially when they're first released, and you're beating the book, and not, not necessarily just beating them and, and having your bets graded as winners, but if you're beating the closing line by a substantial margin, your account is going to get flagged, right? And what's going to happen is you're going to start getting limited, um, and basically what the, the sports book will do is, is basically try and tell you that they don't want your action anymore. Right. And you don't need to be some sort of gambling savant to beat these opening prop lines. What, what you do need is a really good set of projections, 
um, regardless of the sport that you're looking to bet on. And you're, you know, you can outsource that to people who specialize in doing that. And there's a handful of services out there that you can subscribe to whose numbers are, are quite frankly, they're better than what the sports books are dealing with. So, you know, in, in a given week of, of NFL or in a night of, of a full slate of NBA games, there's going to be anywhere from six to 12, potentially more prop lines that are significantly off on what these top end projections are showing. Now that doesn't mean that these bets are going to win, but if you pounce on them early, the number that you get is going to be substantially better than the number the closing line is. And these these sports books, they're in the business of making money and they don't want people to to beat their lines, especially their opening lines by that much. And certain books will limit you or they'll kick you off entirely. There's there's one specific book that I won't mention that I'm not allowed to bet more than six dollars uh, on a prop, regardless of what the prop is. I'm not allowed to bet more than six dollars. Wow! I mean, I, I wanted to bring that up because I know we've discussed that before, and I just thought that was so cool because, like I said, the uh, on the spoiler alert, alert uh, that's a world with which I'm not familiar. So <laughs> it's so cool that uh, you know you've been able to do that. Do you have a, a favorite a, a site that you do use uh, for uh, you know getting those uh, props out, or you know the, the better advanced lines that you, you that you mentioned there? Uh, I think kind of um, the industry leader right now is Establish the Run, uh, which is a site founded by a couple of really, really sharp guys um, who are really well known in the fantasy uh, football uh, streets. Um, but since you know their projections have, have been launched, there's been a handful of other sites to come up that have also kind of been showing some really sharp numbers. Run the Sims is one. And yeah, there's, just, there's more and more uh, people that are really putting a lot of time and effort into making these projections. And right now, they're more efficient than what the sports books are working with. So it's definitely an opportunity for people who, you know, are w- willing to put in the work to to beat the sports book. Because if you're trying to beat the sports book on on NFL sides and totals on a Sunday morning, I mean, spoiler alert, but you're you're going to lose. Right, their their numbers are too efficient, right? So you got to find these alternate markets where they're not, maybe not paying as much attention to for some value. Well, that's that's uh, some amazing advice. So do you have any uh, futures bets that you've placed, or or any lines that you're looking at right now that you're sort of uh, interested in pouncing on? Like perhaps uh, maybe the Cincinnati Bengals to win the Super Bowl, given that they were zero and two last year and then went all the way to the AFC title game. Maybe maybe a bet like that. It's funny you read my mind. I had the exact position last year when uh, they started zero and two, and I was I was sitting on. Uh, it was a 17 or 18 to one ticket um, last year leading into the AFC championship game. Pretty feeling pretty confident about, uh, unfortunately that didn't go our way, but yeah, the Bengals, I mean, it kind of, let's see what happens with, with Joe Burrow. Right. I mean, right now I think he's looking iffy for this week. If that, if that leg isn't right, then, uh, then they could be in trouble. But, you know, even if they start and three uh, and he gets an extra week of rest to kind of reset, they showed last year that they can go on a serious run. And if we can get them, I think right now they're somewhere in that 16 to 18 to one range. If we can get them creeping up even a little bit higher than that, then I think that's uh, that's a smash of a bet. In terms of stuff that we're kind of seeing right now, one thing that, that stands out, um, again, just based on projections and, and where a line may be off at sportsbooks is the Dolphins to win the AFC. So right now they're either third or fourth in that market, somewhere in the plus 700 to plus 800 range to win the AFC. ESPN's uh, FPI, which is, you know, uh, publicly avail- available data, 
has them rated as the most likely team to win the AFC based on their numbers. Wow. So, you know, getting them at twice the odds of a team like Kansas City or uh, Buffalo seems like pretty good value at this point. I mean, it's the Dolphins, too. It could get hurt, obviously, but I just think that number's way off at this point. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a really good one. Uh, I didn't uh, realize that they basically had valued, I know, uh, Tua Tagovailoa to win the MVP. Uh, you know, he's like the co-favorite, I believe now. it's After the first amazing game against the Chargers, uh, you know, his number uh, dropped significantly on that to win the MVP. So that'd be a lot of fun. I love watching Tua Tagovailoa play. He's uh, one of the more exciting quarterbacks I was just looking at um, some futures for golf majors for, for next year. And, of course, we talked about uh, Ludwig Aberg, uh, and it's pretty crazy for the P- for the PGA Championship. He's the, the fifth favorite to win the PGA Championship. I was thinking, you know, as we said, like, he is a stud, clearly. He's won uh, on the DP World Tour now. and But, he's, yeah, he's a favorite over guys like Patrick Canley, Xander Shoffley, Cameron Smith, Spieth, Finau, Thomas. It's amazing. I was hoping maybe I can uh, jump in on that and get a, a good value for a uh, future uh, golf major bet on him, but uh, that's a little bit too low at plus 1,600. Are you serious? I mean, that seems... Crazy, eh? <laughs> that seems crazy. I mean, yeah, I'm just looking on the Masters odds right now. He's 50-1 to 1 to win the Masters, which, I mean, that's that's an outrageous number as well. He should be he should be double that, right? That's I don't know if you've noticed this um, over the last couple of years, because I'm like you. I, I bet a lot of uh, outrights in golf. And the prices we're getting on these guys just keep getting shorter and shorter, right? especially on the top end. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, you can't get even the second tier guys now. Like there used to be a sweet spot kind of in that 30 to 50 to one range where you'd get um, some pretty decent value on some pretty big name players, guys with a really strong pedigree. Now those guys are, you know, you know, at 20 to one or some 20 to one. So just, they've really sucked out a lot of the value on betting golf outrights, which is, Unfortunate, because there's no better sweat than, than betting the golf out, right? Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, uh, especially for regular PGA Tour events with a lot of the big names going to live, then uh, you know your markets uh, to outright winners are just so so low on you know especially the favorites. I never bet, for example, um, a player who's like plus eight hundred or nine hundred. No, to me, it's it has to have four numbers after that plus sign for me to even uh, consider it. At least going into the uh, into the event. The, I have noticed, not that I watch live golf at all, basically, uh, well, really, I don't, but I have noticed the there's um, some amazing lines um, up for that because I guess not as many people are betting it, so maybe they're offering some juicier um, betting lines. I, I won on Kepka uh, earlier this year at like 50 to 1, the tournament that he uh, was victorious in, and, and it, unfortunately, Deshambo, I had him, there was a couple of tournaments, he was like 100 to 1 or 80 to 1 when he was, wasn't playing well. Unfortunately, then he had a really strong stretch of good play. And then that number plummeted to like, you know, 10 to 1. It's okay, I'm not going to bet that. But uh, yeah, live golf, uh, I don't watch it, but there's some definitely some solid lines on there uh, that you can definitely uh, maybe take advantage of, uh, that's for sure. I'll have, to, I'll have to investigate that a little further uh, next year because, yeah, the outright market on the PGA side is really, unless you're betting long shots, there's not a ton of, of value out there from week to week. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's for sure. Well, Chris, uh, this has been uh, an absolute blast uh, hearing uh, your perspective on betting. And of course, the, at the NFL and the PGA Tour, uh, been a lot of fun, my friend. And uh, yeah, th- thanks for uh, being on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it, my man. Let's do it again soon. Sounds good. And bang. That was a blast chopping up with Chris Amberley about the NFL and the Ryder Cup. That's absolutely amazing what we just discussed about him being so sharp that betting books are limiting his wagering. He gave some great advice on how to become a better better, <laughs> that perhaps I should take because I, like 99% of gamblers, definitely are on the losing side long-term. 
You can follow his writing at sportsbettingdime.com. It would be totally fascinating if, as he suggests, Kirk Cousins heads to the Jets. But I still want Jameis Winston. Even though Chris is right, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He's just too darn entertaining, though. He was the 2015 first overall pick by the Buccaneers. And in his final season in Tampa, he threw for 33 touchdowns, but also 30 interceptions. Every game was a wild ride. It'll be great to watch the Solheim Cup being played on a golf course that I played in Spain, brag, and the upcoming Ryder Cup as well. Betting Europe as an underdog on home soil, where they haven't lost in 30 years? Definitely very intriguing. I also love discussing old-school video games. I guess it's just the nostalgia that makes them the best. A game I neglected to bring up is none other than Cyber Tiger for PlayStation. Past podcast guest Tony Rosenberg lent it to me. I'd never heard of it before. But basically, it's Tiger Woods as a kid, and you're trying to make him better and rise through the ranks in golf. Pretty good game! As was Hot Shots Golf and Mario Golf back in the day. Thank you for listening to episode 94 of the H-Dog Pod. Man. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Houndog Harrison. Bang. 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 I also love discussing old school video games. I guess it's just the... I also love discussing old school video games. I guess it's just the... Oh my God. Come on, Harrison, you dumbass. I guess it's just the... Unique New York. Ow, now, brown cow. I guess it's just the... Okay, Michael. I guess it's just the nostalgia that makes me the... Okay. I also love this... I guess it's just the... the <laughs> I guess it's just the nostalgia that brings it the best. What? What am I talking about? I also love discussing old school video games. I guess it's just the nostalgia that makes them the best. Finally. <laughs>